We've come to the last chapter in the book of Exodus. But it does not end like many stories that we're used to. The stories that we're used to is, and they lived happily ever after. In comparison, the book of Exodus just kind of ends abruptly. And the reason why the book of Exodus ends rather abruptly is because God's not finished telling us who he is. And he's not finished telling us who his people are. And so he will go on in Numbers, in Deuteronomy, in Joshua, in Judges, in First and Second Samuel, in First and Second Kings, in Chronicles, and all the other books to give us, yes, a history of his people, but to give us more of an understanding of who he is. And then we'll read the Psalms and the Proverbs and wisdom literature, and we'll see the prophets who try to warn his people when they're in error and how his people tend not to listen all the way like they've been not doing in this book. But even so, there is something for us to learn in this chapter. And so there's two points that I particularly want to make. So you're uh, off the hook, because oftentimes pastor will have three points points in a poem. I don't do much with poetry, and um, I'm going to have two main points. So in the last chapter of Exodus, it says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting, and you shall place the ark of the testimony there, and you shall screen the ark with the veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange what belongs on it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and mount its lamps. Moreover, you shall set the golden altar of incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the veil of the doorway to the tabernacle. And you shall set the altar of burnt offering in front of the doorway of the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting. And you shall set the labor between the tent of the meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the veil for the gateway of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and the anoint and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and shall consecrate it and all of its furnishings, and, you shall, and it shall be holy. And you shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and its, all of its utensils, and consecrate the altar, and the altar shall be most holy. And you shall anoint the laver and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway to the tent of the meeting and wash them with water. And you shall put holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister as a priest to me. So we see all of this that God is saying that we've took a look in the previous weeks how the people gave of an offering so much so with free will offerings that they had to restrain the people from giving. And so they had provided all the materials for the altar in the courtyard. And then he gave men and women skill in assembling and constructing all of these items and the furniture and the clothing. And now God says, now is time, now that they've been consecrated to erect this tabernacle, this symbol of God's presence, because God is going to dwell with his people there. And also, in essence, the this, this sense of to understand that God is holy and that there are parameters in which to enter into access with him. 
And so he instructs them exactly how to lay out the various tabernacles. And so if you will, quickly, when you enter into the courtyard, there is the brazen altar where sacrifices are given. There's the laver, which is a, basically a wash basin where they can wash to make sure that they're no longer dirty from the sacrifices and the burnt offering. That they then go into the tabernacle structure. And in there is a holy place where three items of furniture exist. One is the table of showbread, which is on this side for us with the 12 uh, loaves of bread. On the other side was the menorah, the golden lampstand. And in the middle of the Holy of Holies is the altar of incense. As we looked a few weeks ago, that that represents on it the incense, the prayer of the saints. And the unique difference between this earthly tabernacle and the heavenly temple is that that altar on earth is on in the holy of holies i mean in the holy place but in heaven in the holy of holies and then behind a veil again is the ark of the testament the ark of the covenant where god is seated and so he tells them to assemble all these things and verse 15 says and you shall anoint them even as you have anointed their father, and they may minister as priests to me, and their anointing will qualify them for perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. Thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So Moses not only heard the testimony of God in the commands, but then he performed it. So he set up the tabernacle just exactly as God had commanded him. The next verse is an interesting verse because we'll just whiz by it. It says this, Now in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, a tabernacle was erected. You go, well, that's interesting. What it tells us is that God's people have been in the desert for a year. We'll just read this and go, oh, that's interesting. But God's people have been in the desert for a year. And now you say, okay, you said that, so what? Well, God has been telling us previously that he sustained his people, that he provided water, that he provided manna, that he protected his people. And even though for the last many chapters we have not discussed at all God's provision, guess what? God has been providing for his people in the desert for the last year. we as well should not have to be reminded as we dwell with God of God's provision every time. We should understand that God should not say, the breath you take, I gave it to you. The talents that you have, I gave it to you. The blessings that you have, I gave it to you. We shouldn't have to be repeatedly and reminded over and over of the blessings of God because God sustains us. And oftentimes it's just like a a verse. Well, it's been a year, and then we read on. And yet a year in our lives can seem in an eternity or can also seem as a day. But God sustained his people. Then I want to move further to the chapter, to verses 31 through 33. And it says this, And from it Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. And when they entered the tent of the meeting, and when they approached the altar, they washed. 
just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. Thus Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the temple tabernacle. Now I want to stop there. If you've been to our prayer meetings on occasion, and unfortunately not nearly often enough, one of my prayer requests is that God would fill this place with such glory that we couldn't enter. That God would be so glorified that it was His glory that occupied this place and we had to take a seat or a stand outside that God might be present in a mighty way. And this shows us that God, after they had done what God had commanded, even after the people had rebelled, even after the people had worshipped other gods, even after they had complained against Moses and all this, and even though God had said at one point to Moses, I think I'll just take them all out and start over. We see God totally restored with them. That His presence is with them. His glory is with them. And it's not because of what they have done or not done, but because of who He is. And that He made a promise to them that He would deliver them to the promised land. And He is showing them not only in a visible sense, in the sense of the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, of His presence with His people. That that presence can be so awesome and so powerful that even Moses, the one who talks with God as a man talks to a friend face to face, Moses can't even enter because of the glory of God. So what does that have to do with us today? Because many, many uh, books later, we'll see that Solomon built a temple, a permanent structure. And after dedicating that tavern, that temple, that God's glory again so filled that place that they couldn't enter into it. But that was many thousands of years ago. What does that have to do with us? Well, Paul tells us, in Corinthians, he says this in Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now I want you to, and there's another verse I want you to see. It's also in Corinthians, and it says this. Sure, if I could find it. Well, anyway, it says that we, it continues to say that we are the temple of God. And then it says to us 
to glorify Him in our body. He says, we are not a tabernacle of God. We are a temple of God. You see, this body is a tabernacle. It's a tent. It is not a permanent dwelling. God has promised to give us one. He didn't say, my body is a temple. He says, I am. That God dwells in me. And for believers, it dwells in you. Therefore, we are to glorify God in our body. So all that we are and all that we do should glorify Him. Now you've heard me say that in our world today, you'll get all kinds of self-help books about how being the best you you can be. And that's good. But it's shooting low. I want to be like Jesus. Now the problem with being like Jesus is I need to allow the Spirit to so dwell within me that the glory of God so dwells within me that you see less of me and more of Him. That it crowds me out and keeps Him in. Because we are a permanent dwelling for God. Maybe where we take that temple is not maybe places we should take that temple. And the things that we do on our bodies, maybe not the things we should do in our body. Because we are the temple of God. And that His glory should shine and radiate through all of us. Point one. May we pray that God so fill our lives that He would see Jesus, not Joe. And then perhaps my prayer that God would fill this place with His glory would not seem like such a far-off event because me being filled with the Spirit and you being filled with the Spirit and you and you and then inviting other people and telling them who Jesus is and how He loves them and how He cares for them and how He forgives them. And yes, even when we wander off and He seeks after us and all of that He is, that those of us would then come to seek His glory. Second point, going back to Exodus, it says this, Throughout all of their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night inside of all the people of the house of Israel. Again, we just read that. It's one of the things that makes it so difficult for me as a person who's going to throw stones to understand. God has been in their presence throughout their journey. 
If you continue on in the first five books of the Bible, you'll see that they don't get to the promised land for 40 years. But every day and every night, there is a symbol of the presence of the Holy God. And yet, they still lack faith. When God says, take the land, oh, they're, they're too big, they're bigger than us. And yet, we continue to see God dwelling with His people and being faithful even when they have no faith. But as I'm prepared to throw a stone at them, I see how God has walked with me. Not only has His Spirit been on that place, He has dwelled within me. And yet I know exactly how I lack faith. So maybe it's a little easier to understand. But the point is, they only moved when God moved. And they stayed when God stayed. And so many times in our lives, we want to move or stay when we want to move or stay. Rather than paying attention to what God wants us to do. And sometimes God wants us to just stay there. Staying someplace is not necessarily moving backwards when you are staying there because God has you to stay there. But when God gets up and moves, then you're supposed to move. And follow him. And an example of that is Jesus. We are told in John chapter 5 when Jesus had healed the man on the Sabbath, the religious people were totally upset with him. And verse 16 says this For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now here's the verse. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly. Now when you say Jesus say truly, truly, or in the uh, King James Version, amen or amen. This is, I'm really serious. Everything Jesus has to say is serious. But when he says this, it's like, take notes. This is on the test. A lot of other things are on the test. This is on the test. Take notes. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. If we say that we are Christians, which I'm not real fond of that word, little Christ, I prefer if we're disciples, then we're supposed to be like our Savior. And to being like our Savior is to do things He did. And what did He do? He watched to see what God did, the Father, and did that in the same way. Well, what did God do? God was in their presence. God kept his promises. God forgave. God, through Jesus, humbled himself. Jesus said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
We see all of these things that Christ did, and we are to see what God did and do that. All too often, we think, I don't know what God's doing. Open your eyes. He is doing many things throughout the world today. He's still feeding the hungry. He's still healing the sick. He's still befriending those who have no friends. He's still loving the unlovable. He's still seeking the lost ones. He's still saying, rejoice always. He's still saying, pray about everything. See what God is doing and do that. And if you're so blindsided that you can't see what God is doing, read his word. It will tell you. What did Jesus do? Well, Jesus was doing the things that his father told him to do. Then do the things that Jesus did because that will do what God did. So yes, in the tabernacle, they stayed there when God didn't move and they moved when God moved. Their principle is still alive and well today. See what God's doing. Be aware of what God's doing. And don't leave when he hasn't left. And don't stay when he has. Follow him. Be in his presence. And I suspect there are certain things in this life that we derive pleasure. And so I'm going to use one that won't get me in trouble. For most of us, we love chocolate. Now, some of you prefer broccoli, and I don't understand that, but that's okay. You know, we all have our own taste. But I love chocolate. Now, lately, I've been trying not to have any because I'm put on too many pounds and was eating too much chocolate. But, but it's, it was pleasurable. When you have experienced the presence of God, truly, it's a pleasure. It is something that you want more of. And quite frankly, it won't make you fat. Although you tend to think so, because it seems that that I was in really good company with most pastors. Most pastors seem to blow up in size. So maybe God does make you fat. I don't know, but... I don't think so. I think being in his presence is a pleasure in and of itself. And we won't have to guilt you into following God because it's in your own best interest. Because there is a pleasure in being with God. There is a peace that Jesus says that passes all understanding. It's how people even in the world today who are suffering persecution for the name of Christ, who are being killed and their families raped and murdered and yet continue to have confidence in God because of that grace that God gives. God doesn't say that being in His presence means there will be no opposition. It simply means we win. That they might kill the body, but they will never destroy the temple. 
So brothers and sisters, may our temple be so filled with His glory. I had the blessings of of going, because I always kind of viewed that verse of being His temple as, okay, that's great that God dwells in me, and that's mind-blowing enough. But there's more to it. And one of the, the, one of the advantages of the disadvantages, there's not a lot of temples in America. But I have had the opportunity to go to places like Athens and Rome and Corinth. And all those places, especially in Athens and in Rome and in um, Corinth, the God that was the God for that city was always built on the highest hill. So that everybody in that town, when you say, well, who does this city worship? That God. Whether it's Dionysus or whatever the God is, we worship that God, that temple on the hill, because everybody can see it. We also being the temple of God should be more than just where God resides, but a place that says, who do you worship? I worship God through Jesus Christ, His Son. That my body is a declaration, a temple on a hill that says, I worship my God. And it'll be no surprise to you because my life ought to be as that temple on a hill. Yes, it is a place where God dwells, but it is also a place to make a statement of who I worship. So this type of message is not the type of message that you can say, oh gee, I feel bad or feel good or whatever and we sing a song and, and we go. This is the type of message that the response is, what do you do when we leave this place? What do you do Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, Monday evening, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the next Sunday? Is it like the little boy who went to church and was given a quarter to place in the offering plate and he attended the service, put his quarter in the offering plate and went home and the dad said, well, what did you think about church? He said, it was a pretty good show for a quarter. Hopefully this is, well, hopefully you're entertained, but that's not the point. The point is to be more like him. And that is not something that we decide, okay, well, this Sunday afternoon I'll be more like him, but Monday not. It's something that we progressively do day after day. And let me give you a little secret. You can't do it on your own. You need the Spirit of God to lead you, to indwell you, to give you that power. Because it does not come naturally. Look at any five-year-old mine. And we don't grow out of that. It takes a death and resurrection to say, 
What you want, God, is what I want.